I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. <laughs> the way you said that, I'm sorry. So I think we need to roll with it. Yeah, and you're Lori. And I'm Lori, and this is Cemetery Row. <laughs> It's late. It's been a long week. We're loopy. Yes. It's, it's the, the first podcast recording of the year. And so I think we're all a little bit loopy and kind of like, It's oh a God. full moon. And oh, God, that too. Mercury's in Gatorade. Yep. <laughs> it's been a week. Yes. It has been. Mm-hmm. Um, ladies, did you all have a good holiday season? I did. Yeah. I did. Good. It was not bad. It, it could have been worse. My nibblings are getting too big too fast. Yeah, they are. I don't approve, but... They're growing up very fast. It's insane. Yeah. Crazy. Um... And so, yeah, we I think we've been doing okay. We hope you all have been doing okay as well. And if you have New Year's resolutions, I hope you are working toward that. But at the same time, I also highly recommend just not having any and just living your life. Exactly. And remember, your resolutions don't necessarily have to be for the positive. So if you want to yeah. resolve to be absolutely feral this year, I yeah. support you. Do it. Yes. Yeah. If you want to commit a crime, don't blame us. But... <laughs> Go do crime. We don't care. Right. Um, Be gay. Do crime. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, So we have had some interesting news lately. Um, I know that they have arrested a person in connection with the uh, dorm murders in Idaho. I don't want to really talk about that dude because yuck. No, but I do. He's the guy. Yes, I do want to, I know we were talking about this before, but I do want to, you know, throw hands up to the police who were smart enough to think when they didn't get any hits on his DNA and the database to go to, you know, whatever genealogy site they went to and track him down through his relative who was like, yeah, he's fucking weird. And he's, (laughs) he's not far from Idaho. So maybe, you know, look into him. And it was like, boom, bitches, we got the guy. So, you know. We'll yeah. we'll see what happens as this progresses because it is fucking bananas. It yeah. is. I will say uh, it breaks my heart that I've seen more pictures of him than I ever have yes. any of the the victims. Yeah, mm-hmm. so and shout like shout out to the victims and their families who were and leave this their poor hell. little roommates alone. Um, yeah. We were talking about before. You know, we've all lived in party houses or dorms or various shit like that where. I, when I lived in the dorms, I went to go take a shower early one morning, dropped my washcloth, went to go pick it up, saw a pair of man feet in the next shower stall. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? This is none of my business. That's exactly right. <laughs> Whatever's going on in there has shit all to do with me. That's and right. For the record, guys, we, uh, those dorms that she lived in were not co-ed. So no, they were, <laughs> no, not. They were, they were not. not. They were not supposed to be men feet. In there, that were, there were, there were. Absolutely not supposed to be men feet in the shower. It was a strictly <laughs> female dorm. Feet yes. men. Oh, Lord. But yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and even before we knew that the roommate had witnessed something, um, I had told the girls, like, I could definitely sleep through a quadruple murder mm-hmm. easy. Like, yeah. I am a hard sleeper. I have slept through fire alarms. Like, Yeah, I mean, that's what I was telling the girls, too. You know, you think about something like, uh, the Velisca axe murder where I think 
all of those people in the house or a majority of them slept through that and they didn't have any kind of like you know just white noise in the back like an ac or refrigerator or whatever i mean how do you not hear that but they did and then you have like bundy's rampage through the uh kyomega house in florida and i think a lot of those girls slept through that and the ones that did see someone thought oh that's just some girl's boyfriend i mean you just you can't blame everything on someone who just was there and just and didn't know. most normal people, <laughs> not us, obviously, <laughs> but most normal people, like if you see somebody in your room, in your house, or you hear your roommate crying, you don't automatically think, okay, well, they're being murdered. Right. I do because I am a mutant, but <laughs> like most normal people, especially like little 21 year old babies, like remember that too these are mm-hmm. babies yeah just itty bitty and you know what she survived and yeah. that is all that matters is that the kids that survived survived it's not going to bring the other right. ones back no unfortunately it's, it's just a sad story all the way around so i hope their families and their friends are finding some way to cope with all of this i can't imagine what they're going through just uh, awful. Yeah, send them a lot of love heartbreaking we're also sending a lot of love to uh, Demar Hamlin. Yes, of the Buffalo Bills. Mm-hmm. We um, there was a good report on him today. Um, yeah, you know he's not cemetery related, and you know we know you know, you guys know we don't talk about sports often. No, but like I told the girls earlier today, seeing very large men bawling their eyes out always does something to me. Yeah, and I sure. can't imagine how. I mean. Even if just like my coworkers who I work with in my office, if one of them had to have CPR performed on them in front of me, I would lose my shit. Yeah. Like I would be fucked up for a week or more, you know. And y'all know, I I may not have mentioned this here before, but I did work for the American Heart Association uh, some some time ago. And so I am, I'm actually still CPR certified and I could train you in hands-only CPR with my eyes closed. So I just want to take a minute and say that if somebody in front of you does collapse and appears to be non-responsive and not breathing, find somebody like whoever's nearby, have them call 911, have another person get the AED, you rip open their shirt. If it's possible, you clasp you're that using the palm of your hand between the two nipples on the breast and you push hard and fast in the center of their chest to the beat of staying alive by the Bee Gees. There's that's what I was like. Is it still yep. staying alive? Yes, and there's many other songs like another one bites the dust is one anything, any song that's 100 beats per minute, because you have to do, you have to push hard and fast in the center of the chest compressions up to two inches to that rhythm, that beat, 100 beats per minute. And you have to keep doing that until somebody comes and relieves you or someone gets that AED. The AED will walk you step-by-step with what you need to do. So yeah, know know that you have to do that CPR and you may crack a couple of ribs. It's not, it is not have a cracked rib than exactly. It is is not a pretty procedure. And unfortunately there were so many stories I heard sadly of people who were like Damar and were in their twenties and young and appeared healthy. Um, There was this one kid in Atlanta who dropped dead in a class of 200 people and no one knew how to do CPR. They didn't know where the AED was and he tragically passed away because of that. So right that is just why it is so important 
if you can't get certified, just again, no hands-only CPR. There's videos on YouTube that will show you how to do it um, because it's just as effective as traditional CPR in most sudden cardiac arrest cases. So, you know, and thank and God yeah. he's doing well. I'm so yeah, happy that me he too. pulled through. And um, yeah, because I'm like 24, like, and I you know. just take a hit at the wrong part of your cardiac rhythm. Mm-hmm. And it, and I'm just like, and that's the thing with football and why, you know, my brother played football when we were young and I do enjoy the sport, but there we went to a division one football school, right? I had classes with some of those players mm-hmm. and these were just college players and they're built like fucking trucks. Yep. And so imagine, you know, ramming into 200, 300 pound solid block of muscle, probably running, you know, 10 miles an hour or however the fucking fast they run. And just, it's like getting hit by a refrigerator, getting swung at, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it is like, and then the CTE and just the things that they put these players through and for the league to take as long as they did to call that game when those players just nearly watched their teammate die on the field Mm -hmm. and to not have said, Hey, you know what? Hit the showers. We're done. And it had to take the players and the coaches being like, you know what? Fuck you. We're hitting the showers. We're done. Yeah. And I think uh, maybe learning CPR and things like that that could help would be a really good New Year's resolution. Absolutely. So just throwing that out there. Absolutely. Good suggestions, Sheena. I like it. <laughs> um well speaking of suggestions that's not a segue whatsoever <laughs> um we're gonna make it work 50th episode um our, uh, 50 episodes of us telling you stories we did have one extra episode where we talked to goth dad mm-hmm. and we do uh have a couple other ideas of special guests that we want to get on here too but either way this is the 50th episode so we thought we would talk about gold anything gold related and so that's our theme for the week and hannah you're gonna kick us off in a big way i am and this is for anyone who ever complains that we don't have enough cemeteries (laughs) i got cemeteries on cemeteries on cemeteries absolutely i love it okay so in bulgaria we're going to the balkans get your vodka and nihilistic disposition ready So we are going to be talking about the Varna Necropolis, also called the Varna Cemetery, which is a burial site in Varna, which is close to Lake Varna. (laughs) (laughs) Is, Is the name Varna used anywhere nearby? A couple of places, it seems. (laughs) Um. There's going to be some Bulgarian names that I'm going to mispronounce because I don't speak Bulgarian. <laughs> Bear with me. So what is so special about the Varna Necropolis? Well, it is one of the oldest sites with gold treasure and jewelry in the world. It so, hasn't been stolen? No, this one had not been raided, probably because it's in fucking Bulgaria. <laughs> And who says, oh, let's go to Bulgaria. Let me go spelunking and fucking bought. Yeah. Dear Bulgarians, I'm sure your country is beautiful. I would love to go someday. However. (laughs) 
let us let us be real here um so it's the oldest gravesite with gold jewelry and it dates back to about 4600 to 4200 bc um and there are also a couple of other prehistoric sites close to varna with gold jewelry um those include hotnitska Durenkulak. Pat, I'm not going to be able to pronounce that. Oh, you got that one exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> but it is the oldest and it is also the largest and most diverse site uh, in that area. Cool. Um, so it was discovered in 1972 by an excavator operator named Rachel Amarinov. Um, so he called local officials and was like, this looks like something. <laughs> um so then, quote. this looks like something yeah um they ended up they went through the government they did all the paperwork and so they've been excavating the site ever since and only two-thirds of the site is excavated there's still about 30 percent that has not been excavated so we're talking about a massive massive site wow um there are about 294 graves many containing some of the very first examples of metallurgy, so gold and copper metals, pottery, included some gold-painted pottery, high-quality flint and obsidian blades, beads, and shells. So they were a very crafty people. Cool. um, The graves are carbon-dated to have been between 4569 and 4340 BCE, and the culture that they're said to belong to is the Chalcolithic Varna culture. Do not know what that means. They sound lovely. They were, <laughs> we're about to get to, cause they had a sense of humor and I like them. Yes. So there are a couple of different exhumation or exhumations, <laughs> um, graves. So some of them are crouched. Like some of the skeletons were found in a crouched position. Some are just straight laid out. Some were empty, but did have the grave gifts still in them. Hmm. Um, So it could have been they died in battle or they just for some reason were not able to recover a body, but they still buried things for them. Um, There have been approximately 3,000 gold artifacts found. Uh, Grave 43 contained more gold than has been found in the entire world for that epoch. So there's one grave that had more gold in it than any other place on the planet earth during that time period. That's awesome. Wonder what they did. I'll tell you. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yay. They really, they originally thought it must've been like a prince or a Royal. It was a metalsmith. Oh, makes sense. It was his shit. (laughs) (laughs) There were also a nice guy too. like just people like he might've been like, if he did everybody's stuff, you know, they might've just been like, when he died, they're like, here's your stuff, man. Yeah. We loved you. And there were also three more symbolic graves. So empty graves that just contained masks of unbaked clay. So a death mask basically. Um, at a research paper, one of the excavators said, Varna is the oldest cemetery yet found where humans were buried with abundant golden ornaments. The weight and number of gold 
gold finds in the Varna Cemetery exceeds by several times the combined weight and number of all gold artifacts found in all excavated sites of the same millennium from all over the world, including Mesopotamia and Egypt. Oh, wow. They had more gold than Egypt. Yeah, that's saying something. Three graves contained gold objects that together accounted for more than half of the total weight of all gold grave goods yielded by the cemetery. Jeez. Wow. A a scepter, symbol of a supreme secular or religious authority, was found in each of these three graves. So there were three graves that were just like, these are VIPs. Yeah. (laughs) And they had more than half of that millennium's gold in them <laughs> that is wild it was bananas and this site remained you know for the most part intact all these years which is insane the findings showed that the varna culture had trade relations with distant lands um or they traded salt um and sort of tangentially there's an incredible book called salt which is like the world history of like salt and I've been amazing. to read that. Yeah, it is <laughs> so good. It is forever like a top five book for me. You wouldn't yeah. think a book about salt would be all that interesting. It is fucking fascinating. Listen, people used to die for that stuff, like you know, trying to it transport it here and literally there and trade for it. I mean, worth their salt has yeah. meaning even now because it was more valuable than gold at one point. It's yes, insane, exactly. Um, they also exported metal goods. Um, the copper came from somewhere else. They also found Mediterranean shells in the graves that might have been used as currency. So they were trading yeah. with, which is super cool for that period of like, we've been human for a very long time. <laughs> the culture also had sophisticated religious beliefs about the afterlife and had a hierarchy status within their society. And here is one of my favorite parts. The site also offers the oldest known burial evidence of an elite male. Uh, They think that this was the time of transition to more male dominated societies in Europe, that this is when this happened. So if I could go back in time, I'd find that one (laughs) and punch him in the nards. Yeah, yeah. Which, as you'll discover in the next couple sentences, might have been harder than I thought. (laughs) so this high status male whoever he was was buried with the most remarkable amount of gold including a war mace uh bull-shaped gold platelets that might have venerated virility um and also he wore a gold penis sheath (laughs) not a cod piece a penis sheath Okay. It doesn't sound comfortable, but it surely sounds fancy. Yeah. So the punch of the dick might be a little bit harder than I would think. I'd still give it a whirl. I mean, I would definitely have to try it. So what happened to these folks? They had their bling. They had their penis sheaths. They were (laughs) trading. What was going on? Um, So the discontinued, according to dude who wrote a paper, the discontinued discontinuity of the Varna and other cultures in their main territories and the large-scale population shifts to the north and northwest are indirect evidence of a catastrophe of such proportions that cannot be explained by possible climatic change, land exhaustion, 
or epidemics for which there is no evidence of in this part of the 5th millennium BC. Direct evidence of incursion of horse-riding warriors is found not only in single barriers of males, but in the emergence of a whole complex of Kurgan cultural traits. So we have no idea what happened to these folks. Well, darn. Um, There is, like, from the um, horse-riding it could be, you know, some of the earlier um, from the steppes. So from the Asian steppes coming over into the Balkans. So you've got the precursors to the Mongolians and stuff like that, possibly coming over and wiping them out. Um, right. They don't know. They're just, hmm. it's, it's prehistoric. Nobody fucking knows. Yeah, um, but they were buried with some cool stuff. So, hey, at least there's that consolation. Exactly. Exactly. So they're actually even though this culture had been largely forgotten there they were really the first ones to put ornaments and golden offerings in graves so that was that tradition that kind of traveled through came from them um so some of the other artifacts other than gold um They're so non-metallic, including minerals, rocks, pottery, pigment, biofacts, which is teeth, bones, antlers, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, They have beads of chalcedony, also known as carnelian. I don't know what that stone looks like, but I'm sure it's pretty. Mm -hmm. And agate. Um, They have lots of different carved things, beads. Um, And some of these beads are pretty small. So it's like they were doing some really intricate work. Yeah. Um, The gold artifacts from the uh, Varna necropolis are assumed to be the oldest gold of mankind. Wow. So these have been exhibited in their home country uh, of Bulgaria in Sofia, Bulgaria. They've also done some traveling um, New York University. um, Canada, Germany, France, some other places. Um, so this has definitely gone on my list of shit I would like to see. Um, yeah. There's going to be some really cool pictures on because um, even the masks are really fucking cool. Yeah. Like vaguely creepy, but really cool. <laughs> and I mean, when you look at the artifacts, it's stuff that would be identifiable today as like, okay, that's an earring. Okay, that's jewelry. You know, um, I do not see a picture of the penis sheath, though I <laughs> will be looking. Don't you worry. Um, but yeah, scepters, cool shit like that. So we've been human for a very long time and yeah. I love it. You know, uh, my 40th birthday is coming up this year. I would like a scepter, please. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to try you, to remember that. You yeah. got it, boo. When, I, when I'm giving my cemetery tours, wouldn't I look cool going in through there? With yes. The scepter? Like, you oh. could just walk around with it and just be like McDuff over yeah. there. <laughs> it can be your walking yeah. stick. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure McDuff would love that. We'll get you a scepter and a pimp cane. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Good yeah, job. That's Hannah. really that's really neat. I've never I heard figured that you guys needed something non-gory after last time. <laughs> or really yeah. after any any time Hannah does a on-brand <laughs> Hannah episode. You, you, you Look, need to... occasionally I come up with some weird cool history shit. Yes. Yeah, Great that was job. awesome. All right, Luhu. 
Well, and that segues nicely. The whole walking stick scepter thing kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of segues into my story. We'll get to that in a moment. So spoiler alert, there's no grave in my story today. Um, I spent several hours searching before I finally got to the point where I was like, fuck it. And wanted to throw my computer across the room. <laughs> I did not do that because mine had 294 graves. So yeah, yes, I got makes, you. Yeah, makes up for this because <laughs> yeah. because again, as I said before, you know, yes, I want to try to find interesting graves, but again, sometimes y- you don't know. But these people yeah. had really cool ass lives, and it sucks that there's nowhere you can go see them mm-hmm. and pay your respects. So as far as I could find, there's no record of my subject's burial, um, and since. I don't know her daughter's married name. I couldn't backtrack from there. You know, usually if I know the name of a relative, I can find them on find a grave and go back from there or it was not helping me at all. Uh, Really pisses me off too, because she's fucking badass and should have a place honoring what her legacy was. So Mm -hmm. Hannah's story had enough graves for all of us. So don't (laughs) at me on this one. Okay. Cut me, some, cut me some slack. So we got you, boo. Yeah. Our story starts in 1839 in Saxony, Germany, the Ooh. birthplace of Anna Lotch. Um, Lotch. Yes, I looked up and I wrote it phonetically because okay. I'm not going to be able to say it. Um, <laughs> I don't know a lot about her childhood, or really, you know, the interesting stuff. I'm going to tell y'all. So cool. at some point, she got married to a man named George de Graff probably right around the mid 1860s um life wasn't really that great uh they lost their firstborn child in infancy um lived through germany's seven weeks war in 1866 there was also a revolution in the 1840s that she lived through so that's two wars before you know she's 20 um so and around this time she did give birth to her second child george jr uh they both nearly died from cholera before they thought she finally was like you know what fuck germany her husband had already (laughs) left for new york so she and the baby got in a boat where you know got on a ship going to north america and went to new york city but they were almost lost at sea in the process christ uh death really seemed to have it out for her or karma or what whatever power fucks with your life really wanted to fuck with hers oh Um, man so somehow she made it to new york um she lived with george they had a daughter whose name was also anna which also complicates my ability to track down anything she was born in 1871 um and just a few years later good old george senior lost everything in a financial panic so I guess kind of like a stock market crash, yeah. um, which left the family homeless and destitute. So they cut their losses with New York and headed West. Um, and she set up shop as a seamstress in Seattle. Try to say that five times fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so their happiness did not last long. On June 6th, 1889, a fire destroyed the entire central business district of Seattle, which included Anna's dress shop and their home. No. The fire was caused by a glue pot in a local carpentry shop being overturned and resulted in the most destructive fire in the history of Seattle. Glue pot? Glue. A glue Damn. pot. That is 
frustrating. <laughs> Accidentally overturned and lit the whole district on fire. Luckily, I didn't know glue was flammable. <laughs> I guess it got hot enough and I think it fell on wood because carpentry and it oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. ignited yeah, from yeah. there. Um, there are no recorded deaths. So I guess bright side. Um, That's good. But Anna lost a lot. Yeah. Um, and then a year later, while prospecting for gold, gold. Yeah. near Yakima, Washington, George Sr. was murdered. So, what? yeah, this is fucking Jeez. interesting. Um, I'm assuming he trusted the wrong individual, but there's like nothing out there on this. Uh, so now some math. Uh, and I was basing this math off of the uh, California gold rush, which was predates the events of this story by, you know, 20 or 30 years. But, yeah. you know, just just put in, in, into some context. So about 300,000 people are believed to have moved to California during that gold rush during the late 1840s, 1850s. Um, but 33% of those people were dead within the first 20 years. Oh, wow. And of that 33%, 4% were murdered by fellow prospectors. Jeez. So not super common, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that you're going to get murdered by a yeah. fellow prospector while hunting for gold. So yeah. Um, and with sense. her luck, it does not fucking surprise me that her yeah. husband was murdered. Um, at some point, again, I don't know the date for this, but she did suffer a broken leg. It didn't heal right, so she walked with a limp and had oh, some no. leg pain. That will come into context later. Then in 1892, her son, George Jr., announced, you know what? I'm going on a little gold mining excursion myself. I'll be back Oof. in two weeks. Don't um, do it. He did not come back in two weeks. No, of course uh, he didn't. Of why course would he? Didn't. he? This mother was like, well, fuck that. I'm going to yeah. go find his ass. Uh, she received <laughs> word that a man named DeGraff had turned up in Juneau, Alaska, which was, you know, this was really before the big Klondike gold rush, um, mm -hmm. like just a few years before. Um, so she's like, okay, I'm going to pack up my meager belongings, which was her sewing machine and a feather bed that somehow survived from Germany through all of the fires and everything really? that had happened. Yes. Yeah, she had wow. her feather bed and her, her sewing machine and she made her way up to Alaska, um, as any mother would do, you know, your kid mm -hmm. goes messi missing. Um, and at that time, Juno was like a frontier town. There was like a thousand people and most of them were men. Most of them were prospectors. So not the safest place for a woman who was probably, um, I think at this point she was about 50. So oh, yeah. not a spring yeah. chicken by any means Bless. going into some pretty rough territory. Um, for the next two years, she made money through sewing and anytime she heard any news of somebody named Graf, she was going to go to wherever that was. So trekking up and down the Alaskan frontier right. trying to find him. So in July of 1894, when she was 55 years old, she was informed that he just might be at a trading post in Oglevy. So she joined a party that included a married couple and two single men uh, on a journey into the interior wilderness. She toted her clothes, her feather bed and her show sewing machine. Bless her heart. Nice. And as I mentioned earlier, she had a bad leg. So she yeah. went on crutches. Uh, so, so not only is she going into the, the, the great north, you know, she's going with crutches because she can't God. walk normally. Bless her heart. Uh, so for the next two years, 
she searched for George. Um, she would go take off anytime there was any sighting of somebody with that name. Um, and she made money here and there by sewing. Um, she sewed tents for, I guess, the local companies that were there for gold mining, uh, outfits for the saloon girls and the sex workers who live there. Um, and she began to hold her own in an environment of extreme violence. And she was kind of a maternal figure to those girls because yeah. it was rough and, you know, I'm kind of glazing over it a little bit here, but it was violent. And Mm -hmm. a lot of those women were beat and probably a lot of them killed by drunken prospectors Mm -hmm. wanting a little something. She would Mm -hmm. protect those girls whenever she could. Um, and, and yeah, they were going North in search of something more. And a lot of times it was violence that they got and she did what she could to protect um, the girls that were working there. Uh, So not only was death by grizzly bear quite the possibility, but she could have been murdered at any point by just protecting those younger women. And she would go on to write this in her memoir quote, my mother used to say, you must howl with the wolves when you are with the wolves. And so I made the best of things up there many times. My, Many times my heart did bump. I was so frightened, but I pretended I was the bravest thing in the world. Oh, bless her heart. And you know what? That's exactly that. That is like, if somebody tries to abduct me or somebody tries to fuck with me, I'm going to go absolutely ape shit on them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm crazier than you motherfucker. You want to play? Let's dance. And there was a TikTok of someone who was on like a train platform and a guy like came up to her and she just like pterodactyl screamed. And I was yeah. like, icon. No, yeah. exactly. That's what you have to do. I and mean, then it's- another girl in New York City picked up a whole ass rat and like <laughs> chased a guy with it. And I was like, iconic. Yeah, just iconic. And, you know, that rat was like, what is happening? (laughs) I didn't sign up for this. But again, a a nicer way to put it is you must howl with the wolves when you are with the wolves. Um, So I like that quote. Yes, that's that's awesome. So in 1896, she did return to San Francisco uh, where her daughter lived. Uh, She carried with her uh, gold dust that was valued at about $1,200. Hell yeah. She wasn't there very long. She cashed in the gold dust and went back to Alaska where again, she worked as a seamstress and searched for her son. Uh, She survived two more fires, but every time managed to survive those fires with her sewing machine. Um, (laughs) That sewing machine is is well-traveled. Yeah. Yes. And so finally in 1917 at age 80. Oh no. She finally was like, I'm not going to find him. He is not going to be found. She had received word that she had a great granddaughter and she made peace with the fact that George is gone. Mm. She returned to San Francisco where she wrote of her experiences in Alaska when she was about 85 years old. Wow. And while she was like, while she was here, she, she wasn't just sitting on her ass. She gave, you know, she would go talk to people about her experiences in Alaska. I think even one uh, thing she talks about in her book is that like, things were pretty cool in the early days. I mean, the men were marrying the indigenous women. I don't know how well those women were being treated, but she seemed to think it was okay. And it really wasn't until more and more um, saloon girls and sex workers uh, mm-hmm. 
from Washington and California who were moving in that the peace kind of died, died yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So um, she worked as a wardrobe assistant at the Pantaju theater until 1930 when she <laughs> passed away at the age of 91. God. Jesus. Um, yeah. Her memoirs were like, so she wrote these memoirs, but they weren't even discovered until 1982. Oh, wow. When her great grandchildren found them and are like, you know, we really need to publish this. So they spent the next 10 years, I guess, looking for a publisher, getting it edited. And it was published in 1992 as Pioneering the Yukon, 1892 to 1917. And I would have loved to have been able to read this book. I know it contained like stories of Christmas in the uh, Klondike. Yeah. yeah. Klondike is what they call Alaska. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, like my library doesn't have a copy. And if I were to buy it, it would cost $130 used off of the Amazon. And it's oh, not no. in, in a digital format. So, you yeah. know, maybe when this podcast, you know, if and when we start making some money selling ads, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, Come talk to us. Yeah, we, we, we can buy books then. But but as of now, I could not read the book. Um, and so I could not find any record detailing the circumstances of her death or where her final resting place, which is sad because I mean, when you Google women of the gold rush, she's one of the top names that comes up because 92% of people who were prospectors during the gold rush were men. And she wasn't, she wasn't technically a prospector. I mean, she had some claims, but she always lost the money. She always lost them because she was taken off trying to find her son. So she, she wasn't a successful prospector by any means, but she is one of the women whose names is at the forefront of this. Um, And there's nowhere to go, you know, visit and see, see this in a memorial of some kind. So I'm going to conclude it with a quote that was featured in her memoir that I also pulled from uh, one of the articles I read since I could not read her memoir. Quote, my hope is that someone may read these words. Even the boy himself may send me a message that I may see him again on this planet. As I sit and stitch, stitch on the beautiful skins, some of which came from that faraway land, I live over the experience I had on my travels of over. 30,000 miles in the land of the midnight sun. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. That is the story of, yes, Miss Anna DeGraff. I do have a lovely picture of her that was used in her book. But yeah, unfortunately, I don't know where she wound up. And it's very sad because it would be nice to know. Because again, she was one of the the legends to come out of that, that era of American history. That is awesome. Yeah, quite a mama so, yeah no, quite absolutely. a mama look yeah. i would like fuck some shit up for sawyer like yeah I, I, oh yeah yeah and you don't have to be a mama to have that instinct to know yeah, right to know. i know if one of your little nibblings hannah something like you know they went missing oh yeah your ass would be on the next next plane to wherever oh, yeah. it was they were going they and, know the uh, rule Aunt hannah will chase them down no matter yeah. where they go <laughs> Yes. Yep. So good job. Lou I here. think Sheena, you have something a little uh, spicy maybe <laughs> to, to take us home with the tonight. I, I do. And um, my person is kind of like your person in that she wrote a book Ooh, um, nice. that I couldn't, couldn't track down on. a copy of. But that's okay. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> picture it. 
America, the early 1900s, the slang term gold digger uh, became um, popular among chorus girls and sex workers, and it was first used in print in Rex Beach's 1911 book, The Ne'er-Do-Well, and in activist Virginia Brooks' memoir, My My Battles with Vice, in 1915. But today we are going to talk about the woman who became basically the poster child for the term gold digger. Um, That word was used to describe her uh, throughout her life and even in her death. And so when you think of that famous term for better or for worse, this woman is, is who you've got to think of because she was... I say she was the original, but at the same time, we know that people have been marrying people for money for since marriage was a thing. Oh, yeah. But, but as as far as once the term got around, she became, like I said, the poster child for it. So on May 26, 1893, Marguerite Upton was born. This makes her a Gemini. She was born <laughs> in Berkeley, Virginia. She was nicknamed Peggy. And I don't know a lot about her childhood, um, didn't see a whole lot about it, but apparently she was all about having adventures from day one because uh, she just said she kind of knew she wanted to have nice things and she wanted to have adventures. And so at the age of 15, she ran away from home with her boyfriend, who was a vaudeville bicyclist, which, you know, that's, that's, that's a job. Um, while they were traveling to Colorado in 1910, she met millionaire Everett Archibald Jr. I also saw that his last name was Archer, but I'm pretty sure it was Archibald. I don't know what he did to become a millionaire. Um, he was like 22, so I figure he's just a trust fund baby, but he had money and they got married. And depending on what source you believe, uh, the couple's marriage lasted either a few days or a few months, um, partly because he found out she was underage. She was just 17. So he had the marriage annulled. Um, But Peggy said she divorced him because the life of a millionaire's wife was, quote, not at all what I thought it would be. And I was bored to death. That'll do it. Yeah, Yeah. I guess. I guess so, man. But yeah. once you've been on the other side, that that married to a millionaire, I would happily be bored. Yes. Well, uh, this is the first of many marriages to millionaires, so just well, I, strap in. I can only imagine. <laughs> um, there's nothing I love more than a good scandal, and this woman was scandal nonstop. So um, she did receive a settlement from that divorce annulment, whatever, and she used that money to attend the, a private school for girls. It was called the Chevy Chase School for Girls. And that's not a reference to when we say Chevy Chase today. It's not a reference to that Chevy Chase. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was named after some hunting grounds that were called Chevy Chase, which whatever. It's either a place way, in Maryland, too. It is. Yeah. 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 So um, either way, she went to that school while she was there. She met a lawyer who he was the son of Sherburn Hopkins. Um, he went by, I think, his middle name, Phil Brick, because <laughs> Phil Brick is a great name, but really his nickname was Sherby. So I'm going to call him Sherby. Sherby. I love it. Sherby. So Sherby had a lot of money because his daddy was this very, very, very prominent, wealthy lawyer. Um, and 
he was actually um sherby though was considered the black sheep of the family for some reason even though he followed his dad into the family business and he served in world war one for some reason he was considered the black sheep and apparently when his daddy died and they ran his daddy's obituary they left old sherby out oh um, but anyway, the pair married on September 1st, 1913, when Peggy was 20. This marriage lasted for four years, but she eventually left him in 1917 to go into show business in New York City. And they finalized the divorce in 1920. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> um, so when she goes to New York City, she immediately finds work. She's a beautiful young blonde. So, of course, you know, and she has great legs and like all these directors were like, ooh, legs you know so she makes her broadway debut in 1917 in the Zig zigville follies Ooh. and she was in other plays and all this um and she just starts dating all the rich guys she possibly can one of her boyfriends was lee schubert and we should probably cover the schubert family at some point his family basically built the new york city broadway district and oh. i read a lot of cool stuff about them anyway um so then she starts dating a millionaire lumberman named J. Stanley Joyce. His first name was James, so I'm going to call him James, but I, I don't think he went by that. But I'm going to call him James just because. Anyway, um, so he actually paid for her divorce from Sherby, which is why it, their marriage technically wasn't officially done until from 1917 to 1920. Um, and two days after her divorce from Sherby was finalized, she married millionaire Jay Stanley Joyce. Am now, I sensing a theme here? Sensing a theme. And the theme's about, she's about to really tighten down on this theme. <laughs> because on their wedding night, when they're supposed to be doing wedding things, she instead locked herself in the bathroom of their hotel room and refused to come out and refused to sleep with him, therefore, um, until he wrote her a check for $500,000. <laughs> Good Damn, for that's her. That's how you do it. Cash um, up front. Yes. Not long after their wedding, she went on a week-long million-dollar shopping spree. Damn and right. I wondered, I was yeah. like, what are you buying for a million dollars in one week? In Especially what, back in the day. Yeah. She purchased a ton of pearls, a Russian sable coat, and a chinchilla. <laughs> like a chinchilla, Wait, a, like, like an animal. She oh, not the coat. She like, got it as a pet. Okay. Yeah, she got it as a as a pet. Yes. <laughs> wow. Um, and these hijinks put her square on the front of every tabloid newspaper. They couldn't get enough of her and her lifestyle. She granted all kinds of interviews and she would often invite reporters to her bedroom where she would wear wear these sheer negligees. I mean, Ooh. completely see-through. So no undies Nipples underneath. Out. Everything out. Hell and she yeah. learned how to play the press and give great great quotes. Once she was asked about her ideal man and she said he must be rich but have a very competent secretary so that he will not have to pay too much attention to business. My ideal man must be willing to quarrel with me just once in a while. That a girl. <laughs> Which I'm like, yeah, I guess you want some occasional entertainment there with a silly little fight and then, you know, but yeah, I, I agree yeah. with the whole have a nice secretary so you don't have to pay attention to business. Yes. Um, and I'm going to mention here because I don't know where else to mention it. She also claimed to have been engaged more than 50 times, which is a very possible. She dated everybody. 
Um, we'll get to some of these very, very wealthy boyfriends in a little bit. Um, but Peggy's marriage to James did not last long. And within a year, she left him for Henry Latea. I don't, I'm not saying that right. Um, he was from France. He was described as a Parisian playboy and a multimillionaire newspaper owner. Like his family was like, it was hard to fathom how wealthy they were. It was wild. Now let's get into her very messy, very public divorce from James, because there are some fun numbers in this. So when she divorced James, she asked for $10,000 a month in alimony, which in today's money would be $156,000 a month. Oh my God. She asked him to pay her attorney fees, which would have been $100,000 or $1.6 million today. Uh, he countersued and accused her of being a gold digger, saying that she only married him for his money and that there was nothing to this relationship. He also claimed she had several affairs, which, yeah, probably she did. Um, he also said she was a bigamist that when that one of her divorces didn't go through before she married another one. I'm not really sure what all that was about, but either way, and then. And trigger warning for for mention of suicide, and we're going to have three of those in this. Um, He also accused her of driving a United States Army lieutenant to complete suicide. Um, Supposedly, this man, who I never found his name, but I'm sure it's out there somewhere, shot himself in a Turkish bath after going broke trying to keep Peggy happy. Damn. So, like I said, this divorce was very well publicized. It was all over the papers. Um, But she came out in the end really well. Um, So during their marriage, he had given her $1.4 million worth of jewelry or over $21 million in today's money worth of jewelry, a $300,000 home in Miami, which would today be worth almost $5 million, some mm. furs, some cars, some other fancy stuff. Um, I think she got to keep, I know she got to keep all of the jewelry he gave her. Um, he, she was given $600,000 in the divorce or $9.4 million today. And she got shares of his lumber company. So that gave her an annuity of $1,500 a month for life, or in today's money, that would be $23,500 a month. Man. Jesus. So the press uh, reported that she eloped with that French boyfriend, but they never married. She said she didn't marry him because, quote, Frenchmen understand women too well. A no. girl should never <laughs> marry a man who understands women. I also, love it. I love her. Complicated also, queen. Yes. Yeah. Um, she also said she'd never walk down the aisle again. So let's see if she keeps that promise. Um, over the next couple of years, she did manage to stay away from the altar, but she did date plenty of rich guys like Charlie Chaplin, um, Hiram Bloomingdale of, yes, Bloomingdale. Okay. Hell yes. Yeah. <laughs> Prince Christopher of Greece and Denmark. Ooh. Um, and again, she just keeps being famous just for being famous. I did see some more, um, uh, like more recent media that said she was like the Kim Kardashian. Of her I was day. about to say, so she's I kind of like it. that. But I mean, she also, in like Kim, she she knew how to play the press. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cole Porter and Irving Berlin both um used her name in song lyrics. I mean, just like the way you would hear someone mention a Kardashian in a song lyric today. 
Um, newspapers and magazines ran cartoons that mentioned her, you know, comedians were making jokes about her. I mean, she truly kind of was, she was an icon. She really was. She was a star on Broadway and in the movies, but of course a lot of people are like, yeah, but she wasn't that talented. She was just kind of hot. Um, (laughs) she did cause a scandal in 1923 when she danced naked on Broadway Woo! for her. That's my girl. We have two suicides to discuss back to back here. This is a low point in uh, her relationships. In 1922, while she was seeing the French boyfriend, she also began seeing Guillermo uh, Arazuris. I think I'm saying that right. It's a um, Chilean name, and I'm probably butchering it. He was married with a kid, but uh, they were going together and Peggy said he wanted to marry her. But on May 1st, 1922, he completed suicide in her hotel room. Mm -hmm. And she said it was because she refused to marry him. And his family said, no, he was in financial trouble. So I don't know who to believe there. So Hollywood crime scene. (laughs) Trigger warning for vulgarity. Um they refer to this as um dangerous pussy yeah. <laughs> so oh yeah just, just wait <laughs> just wait because so. yeah three days after his death peggy was then admitted to the hospital she had overdosed on sleeping pills oh goodness i think that was accidental but I'm not really sure either. But during her recovery, she did give an interview because, of course, reporters are going to Why go not? to your hospital bed and talk to you. And she said she was in love with William or Guillermo um, Eras. Uh, how did I say that? Eras but admitted that she, quote, played with him. I dangled him on a string just as I did many others. Oh, Aww. why did I do it? Oh, girl. Yikes. When asked why numerous men were seemingly fascinated by her, uh, Peggy said, I don't know why men run after me. I cannot tell you the secret of my fascination. I never meant to ruin their lives. Dangerous pussy. (laughs) Yes. And then a few days later, another Chilean man who I'm not sure if he was a part of the family of the first guy, but she had been seeing him too. He also completed suicide, supposedly because she had said she wouldn't marry him and because he saw the newspaper reports where she claimed her love for Guillermo. Like, this God guy damn. He, died, he had the newspaper report in his hand. And they say so, women are dramatic. I know. <laughs> Fast forward to 1924 um, on June 3rd. I bet y'all are going to be shocked at what happens. Peggy gets married. Oh, <laughs> uh, she does. Yeah, she does. little devil. This is the fourth marriage. Uh, this is to Swedish Count Yasta Mourner. Oh, uh, Peggy said, all my other marriages mean nothing. This is the fir- first time I've ever truly been in love. <laughs> Which I'm like, huh? yeah. Uh, okay, marriage- Peggy. The marriage lasts a month because um, the count told the press that she was going to uh, quit, give up her career to um, be his housewife. She says the fuck I am. Yeah, she was like, no. And so they got married June 3rd. But by the end of July, she had already left and went back to her career. (laughs) And their divorce was finalized in 1926. Um. This is not a marriage, but this is still, I think, I would consider this a serious relationship. In 1928, Peggy acquired the Portuguese diamond. 
<gasps> Have y'all ever seen this thing? It is beautiful. No. It's famous. It's a famous diamond known for its flawlessness and clarity. It weighs 127 carats. I don't even know what all that means, but this it sounds with big. Pictures, it's huge. It's gorgeous. And I'm like, ma'am, you should have just married the diamond. Okay. You can tell we're all poor hillbillies. Yeah. We're like, that sounds big. Yeah. 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 Cause I don't have anything that weighs any type of carrot. So yeah. Me neither. Anyway, she later sold that um, Portuguese diamond to American jeweler Harry Winston. I know we all know that name. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1951, and he later traded it to the Smithsonian for a ton of smaller diamonds, and they still have it on display. Cool. Now, in 1930, Peggy published a tell-all book that was ghostwritten that was supposedly taken from her diary entries. It was called Men, Marriage, and Me, because, of course, it was. (laughs) Um, of course, because it was ghostwritten, of course, because she probably made up half of it. We don't know how much of that we can believe. Um, <laughs> I love it. Also wrote a newspaper column for a couple of years, too, which I thought was neat. Anyway, in her book, she wrote true love was a heavy diamond bracelet, prefer- preferably one that arrived with its t- price tag intact. <laughs> So for the next 19 years, Peggy dated many wealthy men, but she didn't marry any of those. Um, A couple of notable boyfriends were Walter Chrysler. Yes, of Chrysler. And he (laughs) gave her, the gifts he gave her were astronomical. I mean, just wild. And then she really loved this British astronomy professor named Charles Jackson. She later claimed he was the only man I ever loved. Girl, how many times has she said that? I know. Damn, in my last relationship, I had to fucking pay for everything. And she's out here boinking Chrysler's. Right? Yeah. In 1945, at the age of 52, um, Peggy's star is kind of waning a bit. She's middle-aged. She's put on some weight. um, And she marries. (laughs) I mean, I hate to say it. They really made fun of her weight gain, which I'm like, okay. Which means she weighed 80 pounds. She looked like a normal woman. You know, whereas young, she yes, very, very thin. But when you see her older, I'm 20s? like, she's still gorgeous. She's still gorgeous. She her face was a little chubbier. And do you know I'm, how hard it was to be fat in the early part exactly. of exactly? And I'm like, as the queen of chubby faces here, <laughs> listen, there's nothing wrong with a chubby face. Absolutely not. We still um, get carded. God damn it. Yeah. Like when I tell people I'm going to be 40 this year, they're like, what? And I'm like, yes. Yeah. Baby face, Sheena. Yeah. Baby face. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm like baby face Nelson. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. So she's not quite as famous. She is, uh, you know, whatever, but she marries for a fifth time to a consulting engineer, Anthony Easton. So he, he has money, but he's not like Chrysler money. Right. He's not a count from sweden yes exactly (laughs) but the marriage still made headlines because peggy refused to use the word obey in her vows good yes i didn't use obey in my vows i was like that no man no no, none of us are obeying any man i never have and i never will amen no one can tell me what to do Okay, so there's no record of their divorce, but they did end things sometime before 1953 because she married for a sixth and final time in 1953. And her sixth and final husband was a bank teller named Andrew C. Mayer. Good Um, for her. After their wedding, the pair moved to Woodbury, Connecticut, and she was no longer famous and no longer in the headlines. Um, She lived out her last few years 
very quietly. And unfortunately, she died of throat cancer on June mm. 12th, 1957, at just 64 years old. Mm. So Peggy Hopkins Joyce is buried at the Gate of Heaven Cemetery in Hawthorne, New York. Um, she has a huge mausoleum that bears her name, Peggy Joyce Mayer, because of course, by this time she was going by her final husband's name. I don't think anyone's buried with her. I think it's just a massive mausoleum and I think it's just her. I've covered somebody who's buried there. I'm getting there. Okay. Because yes. There are a ton of other notable folks buried there. Like, it okay. was fascinating to go through and be like, oh, my God, they're buried there, too. What? Okay. So, yes, Peggy Hopkins Joyce, you know, the first gold digger is there, plus actor James Cagney, author oh, wow. Mary Higgins Clark, oh. journalist Condé Nast, we all know him, mm-hmm. baseball great Babe Ruth, oh. and journalist Dorothy Kilgallen. That was, I knew it was either her or Mae West. I was yep. like, one of those is buried there. Yay. Yeah. So Dorothy. as I mentioned earlier, and, and this happened during her lifetime, but I couldn't find a good place to throw it in. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, Peggy was referenced in a lot of songs and jokes and books and movies throughout her lifetime. She supposedly inspired the character Lorelai Lee in the 1925 book and later the 1953 Marilyn Monroe film, gentlemen prefer blondes oh because she was a beautiful blonde um and in the year 2000 author constance rosenblum published a biography about peggy called gold digger (laughs) the outrageous life and times of peggy hopkins joyce now i have found that not as an audiobook but as just a like digital ebook right and i've skimmed through it but i haven't i didn't have a chance to finish it before we recorded um but either way um her husbands are all buried everywhere else like i said i'm not going to go into all of those because yeah there was a lot of them (laughs) yeah there were a lot of them and she threw them all away so we're not worried about it but i'm going to end with one of her quotes uh she considered this uh her personal philosophy and peggy says better to be mercenary than miserable (laughs) (laughs) love it yes so that is the life and times of peggy hopkins joyce the world's first gold digger I love it. And I love that her name's Peggy. I do too. I love the name Peggy. Like that is so wonderfully 20s. I love it. Good for you, Peggy. Beautiful lady. And yeah, she she made some choices. Live fast, die young, baby. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so that is our gold episode. Woohoo. Woo. Um, I think next week we are going to cover awesome animals. Just some we are cool animals that we like that we found um, fascinating. So I actually mm-hmm. took a picture of my nerds being cute. Oh, I'm going to send it to you guys in the chat. Do it because it um, was it was super cute. Oh, but yeah, so that's where we are. Um, hey, if you want to uh, show us some love, and we wish you would. Look at your kittens. Aren't they the cutest little thing? Uh, Look at Rosie. Oh, snuggles. Monsters. (laughs) Yeah, they are. But they're adorable monsters. Um, If you want to um, send us some love, you can like us and subscribe to us and follow us um on all of the social media plat social media platforms i'm jumping ahead of myself (laughs) on all the podcast platforms um rate review subscribe tell your friends please leave us a review we would enjoy and if you guys would like 
merch. I don't know if we're there yet, but I, I have that. designed a few things just for funsies. Yeah. Um. So like, let us know. I have like a printful account, so we yeah. can do a storefront. If you that is something you guys are interested in, let us know. Yeah. yeah. And Lori, where can they find us if they want to tell us such things? We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod, or you can send us an email to cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com. And you guys, when you message us on Facebook, we get really excited. <laughs> we get <laughs> yeah, like we all... the, the, the group chat lights up. We're like, yes. oh my God. Yes. yes. No, we have so much fun. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. Um, show us some love. We would appreciate it. Um, and yeah, y'all take care. Have fun. We love um, you. Please yes. vote one more time to make sure that dude's not the speaker of the house. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.